everyone. We have the honor to start off this evening organized by Radio Tempo Nau Para in collaboration with Huis Marseille. We are Talk That Science, a group of science enthusiasts who run uh, this podcast together in which we play nice tunes while talking about the coolest research. The coming hour, you can uh, listen to us discuss two topics that will bring a little scientific touch to this museum night. And the broad themes of this evening are guided by the exhibitions that are uh, open to visit here. There are three Vietnamese artists that, um, that exhibit an exploration of their Vietnamese roots and the theme of diaspora. And there is a photo exhibition like we see around us now uh, by Jochen Lempert in which he studies the relation between nature and culture. And the first interview will be done by Nicoline. Hi. And me, myself, Nikki. And we will talk to Tess Heremans, who got worms drunk for her research, uh, which made them lose their sense of direction. Hi, Tess. Thank you for being here. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. So um, you're currently a master's student in engineering in Delft. And uh, for your bachelor thesis, you got worms drunk by feeding them beer. Um, can you explain us um, yeah, why did you do this and uh, what did this experiment look like? Yes, um, so uh, let's start with why worms, I think, um, because worms in my thesis project were a model for active polymers. Um, what is active and what are polymers? I will also explain that first a bit. Um, so active matter is uh, matter that um, um, extracts energy from its surrounded surroundings and um, uh, converts this into a mechanical force. Um, so basically every animal would be an example? Exactly. And we are, you are, I am active matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and worms are that as well. And um, in my thesis, we studied active polymers, and poly polymers are um, a chain of monomers. And we are now talking on the small scale. Um, and you can think, for example, of my chain here, my necklace, or a uh, yeah, chain of beads. Uh, I also think of plastic, is that correct? Yes, yeah. plastic is also made out of polymers. Okay, uh, but exactly. What plastic uh, is moving, I'm thinking now? <laughs> well, plastic is passive polymers. Mm -hmm. So it's a good example to have this distinction between active and passive polymers. So plastic is something that is static, for example, like the chairs over there. Uh, but the worms, what, what are, uh, which we use as a model for active polymers, they are active because they use energy to move. Uh, so yeah, and why I needed to get them drunk is because we studied uh, if we could separate this model uh, based on their activity uh, but if you have just active worms, what are you separating? So um, by feeding them drunk, 
Well, let's talk about group A. Group A is the drunk worms. Uh, we could compare them with group B, which are not drunk worms. And the not drunk worms were the active polymers. Um, well, they are all active polymers, but had a higher activity. And the drunk worms had a lower activity. And with that, I performed experiments. Um, and I already get into that? Yeah, I just quickly wanted to ask for clarification about, like, uh, so you said that every living thing is active matter, but uh, could you also give example, an example of um, active matter that is not living, or so yes. like what, for example? Yeah, that's a very good question, because I think there's a lot of uh, um, overlap in there. But uh, indeed, not all active matter is living matter. Uh, because you can think, for example, of uh, robotic systems. Um, like a robot? <laughs> exactly. Yeah? Okay. So they move, but they're not alive. Exactly. Mm. And uh, often they imitate living matter, but they are not living. Okay. But they are active. And bacteria, is that, are they? living or not living? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I don't, I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, yeah, I, living matter is for me, but I think maybe sometimes opinions uh, differ, but I think of living matter as uh, that consists of building, the building blocks of life, uh, so cells. Um, mm -hmm. But bacteria, yeah, they, they do uh, use energy to move, so, yeah. But is there no, like, what does science say about bacteria? Like, are they or a live organism, or? I'm actually not sure, um, because I'm a physicist and not yeah, biologist. Not biologist. <laughs> but I think we have, uh, Ram maybe here, who knows that? Ram is a scientist. They are alive. Okay, yeah. good to know. Thanks, Bob. Just to be sure, because I don't want to say crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, getting back to so for this project, you um, fed the worms drunk. Did you? How did you do that? Um, yeah. So at first, uh, this idea was uh, of one of my professors, or a couple of them actually. Um, and the first try actually was just with a bear to see if a bear would make them drunk. Um, and that worked. But of course, when you are working in a, in a systematic way, uh, it's easier to use ethanol solution. So it's a more pure form of uh, alcohol. And we could um, test the amounts of or the percentages. Very exactly, yeah. Very exactly, and then see what the effect was on the mm -hmm. behavior or the movement of the worms. But did you just put them like in a bath of this alcohol? Or, like how did they drink it? Yeah, so um, the worms we are talking about are not worms uh, that live in the earth, but that are, they are uh, worms that uh, are fish food, and they live I think in their natural behavior, also in um, the rio, the 
the sewer, do you yeah. call it? Yeah, or in the sloat? Uh, I don't know. No, sorry. <laughs> like a pond. The pond, maybe, yeah. So they live in um, uh, water, watery uh, environment. Um, and uh, so what we could do is just make a solution of, or just water with some ethanol in the percentage we wanted to uh, check out, and then uh, put the worms in there. And it, we often use like petri dishes to, yeah, do it on small scale and see what happens. But basically, you can take this bottle, put some alcohol in it, and then put the worms in. So, do you have an example of the worms, maybe? Like, how do they look like? Can you describe them? <laughs> well, I have a little surprise for you. But I went to the um, animal store today to get a fresh batch um, in the University of Amsterdam in the lab, in the lab of the soft matter group. They now have uh, them like in a breeding station, so they take care of them. But if you have fish, you can buy them at the animal store, and uh, they are living. So I will give them to you, and you can check what you are seeing. Thank you. Well, it's very small. Why are they all sticking together? Like yeah, they, they form a blob, and this is called uh, entanglement. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't remember it well, because it was, I think, two years ago that I had this thesis. But um, I think it is something with um, oxygen, that they don't, don't need that. It's something about efficiency and oxygen, something. I don't know. Does Bram know? <laughs> also more his topic. <laughs> oh, we have here a blob of worms, living worms. And yeah, do you know wh why they form a blob? <laughs> they like it very much. <laughs> no, but I do know that if they are in the soil on the bottom of the pond, they are not in a blob. They are uh, wiggling a bit. Nah, nay, they can be in a blob. Yeah, but they also, yeah, the outer, maybe we can, yeah, describe what we are seeing here. But yeah, there, it's a, it's a blob with very s small worms. I think the diameter is maybe three, uh, 0 0.3 millimeter, and uh, they are maybe, the largest one is one, one or two centimeter um, in length. And the outer ones that are on the surface of the block, they are wiggling, so they have this so they are active. <laughs> and that is something with oxygen, they, how they mm -hmm. get oxygen from the water. And did, um, this, uh, did this change when they got drunk? Like, how did this, uh, well, what did you see when you made them drunk? Yeah, uh, so uh, it's a little bit like how we are when we get drunk. <laughs> uh, if you are 
partying and at a dancing party you can dance very active but after a lot of beers I don't know about you but me I'm gonna be a bit more like this <laughs> and um, the worms actually behave a bit similar to that um, we measured the end-to-end -end distance and then I will explain this by already or again referring to this chain, if you take the, the two ends of the chain, you can just track those two points. And um, if they are um, active, you will see if you measure this, that there's a kind of a phase, just like waves have a phase. And um, this phase is shorter than when they are drunk. When they are drunk, these two points, uh, they move slower away and towards each other. Okay, and does that cause them to be slow? Because you created a maze, right? And then the worms needed to go through. So how did that um, prevent them from getting through the maze? Yeah, so um, yeah, the experiment that we did to separate, uh, to see if we could separate the drunk uh, worms from the not drunk worms, uh, is uh, yeah, you have this flow of water that goes through pillars, like you said, um, and this is based on a, um, a, a separation method from chemistry. Actually, it's called uh, chromatography. And by the use of water, it's uh, hydronamic, hy hy hydronamic chromatography. Um, Is that what we, I remember that from high school, that you had yeah. like this little paper and then the fluid that was faster was yellow and, or I don't know, yeah. you saw this Yeah, gradient. that's exactly uh, what it is. And you have different methods of chromatography for different purposes, but it's based on, um, separation of the uh, based on the size of the particles not on the activity um, but by looking at the worms and how they changed their wiggling motion we thought there might be some effective radius that was changing uh, so this is why uh, we thought of um, yeah, chromatography uh, and this pillar array and uh, then let's see what happens and from there it was uh, kind of a camel race just put them through and uh, see uh, what happens and then uh, what we saw in their behavior was that um, they when they go through this flow they hit uh, the pillars, and then they would stay there for a while, um, kind of stuck, maybe a bit like a C shape around it, or half moon shape around it. And the uh, more active worms, they they seem to wiggle active enough to uh, get loose from this pillar and get get into this stream of water again to move. Yeah. Uh, Further, and that makes sense. Yeah, that's what uh, caused this delay. 
Yeah. And so now it almost seems like you did like a biology research, but um, these these worms, they are like a type of model for other kinds of active polymers, right? What were they a model for? Yeah, so... Um I think, yeah, as we, I think, already discussed a bit about active matter, it's uh, existing at uh, every scale of life, actually. So we are active matter, but yeah, not polymers, of course, but uh, um, this uh, group of matter is now super uh, interesting for physicists, but yeah, also other dis disciplines. Um, because uh, the, the fundamental uh, uh, science behind it is not yet well um, understood. So we don't really have the formulas now to predict how active matter is moving together. Well, it's so important. Yes. Yeah, so there's a question. Uh, we started talking about polymers, which are dead, and then we started talking about worms. And um, yeah, so what's basically the connection? Why did we go suddenly to this living material? Um, yeah, so you obviously use it as a model, but yeah, what, why do you use this model and what yeah. is the connection? Yes, thank you for your question, because it's an important link to make. Um, the, the worms, uh, they are a model for the polymers uh, because the experiment that we wanted to do is um, for polymers is at so uh, small scale that it's really hard to do these experiments at that scale. Uh, so the worms as a model are kind of an in, uh, uh, yeah, upskilled thing of what was really the question. Uh, and then my professors, they, they published a paper, paper before this, um, uh, this research that you can also look into, but um, the, the worms, they uh, can be characterized exactly like polymers. Uh, the worms, if you look at them from uh, closely, you see that they have these segments that um, you can see as the monomers of a polymer. And that is where the link is. So actually before this uh, study was done, the, the hydrodynamic uh, experiment, uh, the, the worms were characterized exactly like polymers. So characterization par parameters from polymer science are, for example, the persistence length, which uh, is a way of explaining how stiff they are, or um, that, yeah, that this end-of-end -end, uh, distance. And so they have the same properties as the smaller polymers. Yeah. So the question is um, that that worms have muscles and are thereby able to move, but uh, chemical polymers maybe don't have muscles. I, I'm. 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 Not a chemist, but I'm pretty sure that <laughs> they don't have models, uh, muscles. No, um, no. So, uh, is are you? Is your question about uh, active polymers or polymers in general? 
Yeah, so, so again, indeed about the, the fact that the worm is an animal and polymers are not, but maybe your study is specifically about active polymers, right? And not the yes. dead or non-active polymers? Exactly, but I get your point because uh, it's, it's a point of discussion uh, and I would, wouldn't be a good scientist if I wouldn't agree that there are some things to consider here uh, because we, are, we don't know the biology of the worms uh, well, so um, they might have intelligence, for example, to make choices uh, and other things can be uh, a, yeah, playing a part here. So I really don't deny that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if we look at this uh, study, it's a nice way of, for, uh, of looking for the first time um, on a kind of a model, yeah, it is a model for active polymers uh, to see what happens, what kind of dynamics the worms have and why the less active worms are coming out uh, later on average uh, to then scale back to um, the uh, yeah, the active polymers, and do this experiment and see if it had effect that is similar. So, of course, um, after this, other people need to catch up and see if it is really applicable, for example, to things. But it's a, a way of uh, studying active polymers and then find uh, the right direction to go into, yeah. I guess. Yeah, thanks. And um, what are possible applications of your uh, of this research? Because I know when we talked before, you mentioned something about that uh, the same method could be applied to sperm cells. Is that true? <laughs> um, it's true when it's proven. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, it's, I but what is your theory about the possible applications of yeah. this research? Yeah, so uh, why we even would want to separate uh, active polymers um, based on their activity is that it's an opportunity to increase the efficiency of uh, systems like, for example, the selection of uh, the most active sperm cells. It's an it's a idea uh, of an application, uh, but it's not been tested yet. And the sperm cells have, uh, if you look at the biology, a very different uh, way of moving than the worms. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it should be first uh, studied and yes. But the separation based on activity is. For example, also interesting for biofuel cells or you, uh, yeah, um, yeah, increasing efficiency when you want to use these active systems to uh, extract energy, for mm -hmm. example. And I read something about um, active, that a theory of active matter could also tell us something about like the behavior of, um, of large flocks of birds or schools of fish. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anything about that, or like, is it just because you can also look at the activity of the separate fish, or? Um, yeah. So active matter. This we are now talking more the general active matter mm-hmm. uh, is. Um, yeah, it's a hot topic because uh, if you think of um, the de- developments in uh, yeah, robotic systems, they like to uh, Im- imitate these movements of very smart emerging behavior of active systems. And um, so I'm not sure if I'm already answering your question, but. It's not like I, I'm an expert on emerging systems or anything. I don't yeah. really know about it, but I do know the the coupling. Yeah, and it's yeah. interesting, like the scope of or what active matter is that it goes all the way to like the non-living polymers to living worms to like schools of fish. Yeah, and groups of people on a. We are also yeah. active matter. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, Yes, there's a question. Bart has a nice suggestion for me because he already has inside information and he seems to know uh, where Tess executed her research. So Tess, where did you do it? Yeah, so um, it's uh, the funny story of my thesis is that um, when we, are, we were building the setup, took a month or so in the technology center of the UFA uh, and we were very excited it was finished so we could start with our experiments but then uh, the lockdown the first lockdown hit and we couldn't go to the lab anymore uh, but I was um, very motivated to finish my bachelor <laughs> and, uh, and uh, go on with it so I asked on Zoom to my professors, uh, uh, can I maybe take the whole setup to my student room? Well, 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 why not? Why not? So uh, I hired a bus, or oh no, it was with a Volvo, yeah, of a friend, and uh, we went to the UFA and picked everything up. You needed a bus for this, all these little worms? Yeah, no, it was not a bus. It was, okay. I'm, uh, no, bad memory, but it was a Volvo. <laughs> um, and then um, we had to move it. Um, you had this reservoir and temperature control, because I will um, uh, tell you that we didn't even uh, do only this activity control by um, uh, feeding them alcohol, but also by temperature change, which was actually more consistent. Um, so we had to carry that to uh, the first floor and uh, this setup, I got a camera on top, um, computer, everything, and then you need also the worms. <laughs> and I didn't want to throw them away, but yeah, so, I had some worms in my bedroom, <laughs> and they got very smelly. Oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and no. then uh, I decided to do something with the water flow to prevent them from stinking so much. But then I had to pee all the time, so it didn't work. 
and then uh, my <laughs> then my uh, room just became mostly the experiment room and I stayed with my boyfriend Bart. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you Bart. This is where the question is coming yeah. from. I get it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a very funny very funny insight and um, yeah. Are there more questions? Okay. Uh, so Inga asked how much alcohol was in the water because obviously if you have too much alcohol then it is just toxic. Like they might just die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm sure a couple worms died because of too high concentration and we had to lower uh, the concentration, but it was one of the reasons as well to use temperature control at the end. Uh, but I think it was around 2-3% which was okay for the worms and actually they sobered up also very quickly. Uh, when they were immersed again in uh, regular water. Yeah, so the Inge has another question about is the distinction between active and non-active polymer the same as the distinction between organic and non-organic? Mm, good question. Um, I think it's not the same because I'm now thinking of uh, biomatter or leaves, for example, they also, or cellulose, uh, yeah, in leaves, it's uh, organic, but it's not living matter, I guess. Yes. Yeah. The definition of organic is organic chemistry that means consists of carbon, carbon, hydrogen, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, etc. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can repeat for the, because that's the answer then. I did not catch the full answer, yeah. I'm sorry. I think, I think it was something like that almost all polymers are organic, but I honestly don't really know, I say this, but I don't really know what it means. <laughs> we should organize another interview with a biologist yeah. and ask all about organic and non-organic. <laughs> but. Talking about that, we do have uh, an interview yeah. after this with a biologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how, how convenient. Huh? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so indeed, that's what is coming after this. But first of all, thanks for audience for being here. Um, it's really nice to have you, and thank you, Tess. Um, it was great to have you on. And um, yes, if you want to find out something about biology, stay on for the next interview. And the next interview also relates to the exhibition here in this room. It is with uh, Bram Langeveld. He is the conservator of the Natuurhistorisch Museum in Rotterdam. And um, he knows a lot about the great auk, which is an extinct bird that features in uh, Jochen Lempert's photos that you see there on the right side for you, the audience. Um, so yes, uh, stay here, we'll start in a few minutes, just a few seconds, and um, for those of you who will go on with your evening, if you like this, you can listen to our other podcast episodes on all streaming platforms, and you can also find us on Instagram at Science to stay up to date. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.